When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. All right, Purple Daily on draft every Monday right here on the Purple Daily YouTube channel. Miles Gorham, Tyler Fornis, Declan Goff here to break things down from a Vikings perspective on an NFL draft uh, point of view. Whether we go 52 weeks a year, we do go every Monday right here. We take the NFL draft and kind of morph into a season-long show here on Purple Daily. We just want to see the Vikings win a Super Bowl before we die and maybe a new tagline of finding our next quarterback, which we're going to get into here on Purple Daily on draft. Uh, Vikings have the 49ers on Monday Night Football, uh, so we're recording this this that mo- uh, morning before that game takes place. So we're, we're going to keep this a little bit more broad. We're going to talk quarterback options for the draft um, for the Vikings in this episode. Most we got some feedback questions. I'm excited to get into it and ask Tyler and Miles about as well. And of course, you can always shoot us notes whether it's in the YouTube comment section or there's a feedback option too on the Score North app where I get a lot of those questions for this show. So if weather options, whatever works for you, if you want to hear us talk about anyone specifically, quarterback or non-quarterback, uh, we'll gladly do it here on Purple Daily on Draft. So let's uh, let, let's start here. So we obviously know Caleb Williams, Drake May are, at least for now, probably the top two quarterback options on the board if the draft were to take place tomorrow. What about the options behind them? So if the Vikings uh, are obviously outside of those top, you know, three picks, four picks in the draft or so, and they're outside of getting Drake May or Caleb Williams, who would be for you, Forno, the first quarterback that you would look to take if you were the Vikings? And I'll, and I'll give you more of a scenario of the Vikings are picking anywhere between, let's call it eighth and 13th. Let's, let's, let's keep it in that maybe. If you guys want to widen that out or go in a different direction, go for it. Well, let's say they're picking between 8th and 13th. May and Williams are off the board. Who would the Vikings be looking at if they're trying to find their next quarterback? Fun random fact, the, the Eagles went from 13th to 8th by sending Byron Maxwell and DeMarco Murray. No, it was Byron Maxwell and Kiko Alonso to the Dolphins so they could jump up there. Just a fun fact of the day because I know way too much about a lot of random stuff. But going into the season, I had Quinn Ewers at 3. And it wasn't based on what he necessarily had done. It was about what his potential was and how he could be able to kind of take that next step. He was a consensus five-star recruit and he was, I believe like one of the top six recruits of all time. And I think that data goes back to about 1999 when they really started tracking his stuff with like rivals 24 seven. Now you have on three, you have ESPN and he was a consensus number one overall recruit. And they called him mullet Mahomes because of what he was able to do and create outside of structure, throw with unique arm angles. Plus, he had just a wicked sick mullet. He shaved that off before the season. But the biggest thing with yours was always, can he stay consistent? Can he 
like link throws together? Can he create a chain? Like that's one of the biggest issues we've seen with Kirk Cousins, where he'll just go off for like three quarters, and then all of a sudden he'll forget how to attack downfield and he'll just check it down. And that's kind of the big thing with yours right now. It's inconsistency where he'll throw it way too high and have, have just bad footwork with a guy wide open over the middle. He'll overshoot a deep ball by three yards. And it's not from lack of talent. It's just lack of fundamentals, getting your base set and really understanding how to utilize those things to help you. Cause the, uh, the one thing we'll talk about with Caleb Williams here in a little bit in structure play is still the dominant force in the national football league. Creating outside of structure puts you over the top. But if you can't do the in-structure stuff, it doesn't matter what you do outside of structure because you still have to be able to win from the pocket. And that's something that I think Ewers is still kind of transitioning to. He's improved. And I've said it on this uh, show before, going into the year, um, sorry, it was right after the Alabama game. He was like 7 of 12 on throws 20-plus yards or more against just Alabama and Oklahoma. Outside of that, he was 5 of 43. And some of that you can deal with the the labrum issue in his left shoulder. Uh, other factors, like he just needs to stay consistent. And I really like what yours brings to the table. But you ha- it's a situation where you'd want him to maybe sit a year and just rebuild him. He's like the $6 million man. But that's not really today's NFL anymore. If you're taking with a top 15 pick, you better be ready to play. That's the expectation of the fan base. That's going to be the pressure that's put on a head coach like Kevin O'Connell, who's a QB guy. And it's just one of those things. Like I would rather take him in round two, give him the Jalen hurts treatment and let him grow and develop. That's not today's NFL anymore. And it kind of stinks for him, but yours would be the guy. The other guy I know um, we'll talk about more is JJ McCarthy. So yours, obviously what the AC joint injury is that what took place over the weekend shoulder injury. Yeah, and that that's the same injury that Anthony Richardson had, but Richardson had a grade three, which is really, really bad, and that's why they decided to just go the surgery route. It's at minimum six to eight-week recovery, and by that point, unless the Colts are like making a legit playoff run, there's no way Richardson's coming back. AC joints can take even like a week or two to heal. It just depends on how bad the sprain is, and I'm really excited because Malik Murphy has legit talent and he's just going to kind of get washed away because you have Arch Manning on the bench as well. Manning's not ready to play. He will be next year, but Murphy's going to be able to have a chance to showcase what he can do before he likely enters the transfer portal. But if if it's a really bad AC joint injury, that could really spell problems for Texas. So if it's an AC joint, maybe that, that becomes problems uh, for him and his draft stock position, I guess. Miles, I, are, you, are you looking I wouldn't at go draft you, stock you, you wouldn't go there for now? No. Uh, well, it's an AC joint. It's like like pulling a hamstring. It's a short-term. It's a short-term injury. It's not like it should be anything that will impact him down the road. Okay. E- so, even if it was that grade three like Richardson had where you have surgery, it's six to eight weeks. He'll be fine to do all the all the draft season stuff. I think that's one of the 1,000 injuries that Byron Buxton has had over the course of his career. So that's why <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely do remember it, but I got PTSD. I think has we had bilateral leg weakness yet. That's the one we <laughs> yeah. have to be concerned with. <laughs> that's one I don't want to hear either. Um, so how about you, Miles? So if uh, if it's maybe yours that's on the board, is it J.J. McCarthy for you? Who else, I guess, would you be looking at if the Vikings were in this scenario? Yeah, it is J.J. McCarthy for me. I know I've talked a few weeks ago about J.J. McCarthy, but just like Forno, I had McCarthy going in. Uh, to the year uh, with McCarthy as my QB three. 
same same reasons he kind of had yours. It was like I saw some potential. I think if he can build off of it and and have a like kind of put everything together, he could really become that guy. And I think he solidified that role as of right now. Now I know uh, Shadur Sanders is a guy that we've talked about too. We'll see kind of what happens with him. We don't expect him to come out, so I think that's why I especially have McCarthy as my QB three um, because I don't expect Sanders to come out. But I think. McCarthy gives you everything that that Forno touched on of like what you're looking for. He plays really well within the structure and within the pocket, but he also has shown his ability to maneuver and like, and, and, and make, and feel the pocket and maneuver the pocket, but also make plays out, out of structure. Um, now I don't think he's like an elite athlete, but I think he's a, a good, a good enough athlete to make plays in the run game and with his feet. Um, and he has a strong enough arm and an arm talent to make those throws. There's a throw on Saturday where he, uh, his his uh his his receiver or tight I think it was a tight end running kind of like a bend route you kind of call it like a glance route um everybody calls it a little different things but essentially you're just kind of trying to cross the and get over top of the the defender and he he get, gets over top I think it was either a linebacker or a safety and before the safety could even turn his head before the receiver broke um the ball's already out of McCarthy's hands and um the there's no way the defender could even make a play on the ball he puts it right over his head drops it right in the bucket touchdown I just think those types of plays that you're looking for um. Those are the types of thing I'm looking for in a, in a in a quarterback in the draft, and I think a guy like McCarthy, who's kind of putting it all together now. But I also think there's that like connection with Quazy. Um, Quazy's got a connection to Jim Harbaugh from his time in San Francisco. Um, we know that Quazy brought in Jim Harbaugh to Minnesota to interview for the head coaching job. Now, I'm not saying that that automatically means that Quazy's going to want to draft JJ McCarthy, or I think Kevin O'Connell is going to have a huge part in that in that role as well. But um, there's a connection there, so I think. Uh, you know, if you have a connection to the coach, it's a lot easier for you to get a lot, even more background information on a, on a prospect like McCarthy um, for, for Quazy and co than maybe other teams might be able to get. So um, I'm a big McCarthy fan. I think he's kind of solidified himself as my QB three right now. And I would love to see him come out in, in, in the draft this year. So this is actually transitioned to a really good question here from Troy, who sent this over. Um, Troy says, love PDOD. Look forward to it every week. Question for the show, though. What traits and characteristics do NFL scouts look for when scouting college quarterbacks to make the leap to the NFL? And what characteristics and traits should the Vikings be looking at for what fits Kevin O'Connell's play scheme? Which QBs would be the best fit? So a lot of info there, a lot of, a lot of things to, to parse through and hate to put some of you guys on the spot. But what are some of those characteristics, uh, Forno, that you like to see? And then what, I guess, how do you dovetail that into what fits Kevin O'Connell and the Vikings scheme? So this is a really difficult question because there is no blueprint to finding a quarterback. Uh, you have the Bill Parcells method where they have to start at least 28 games, three-year starter, have to be at least like six foot three, and act like a multi-year captain. Like it, there's those types of checklists. But when you look at how some of the quarterbacks that have been successful coming out of the last few drafts, there's very little that you can actually pinpoint to. They all have this in common. That's, well, and the games change. The games yeah. change too, and I think that that's had an impact on that as well. Yeah, and it's it's so difficult because like Mahomes could like we'll have that conversation. With Williams struggled a little bit within structure. I mean, it was the Mike Leach air raid, but his offensive line couldn't protect him, and he was scrambling and trying to make just absolutely nuts throws all the time. There's this one where he had against Baylor that went at Texas Tech, where he was scrambling out to his left and just throws across his body like sixty yards for a touchdown, like. That was what was really intriguing about him, but you knew he was a project. And Andy Reid took it on. Well, he won the MVP in his first year as a starter. Justin Herbert, attacking the football downfield is his best trait. 
All Mario Cristobal had him do was throw laterally and throw screens. That's not using him the best. And the second he gets in with the Chargers, they start letting Merritt out downfield. It's like, all right, this is a guy. Tua is the best anticipator probably in the National Football League. He does not have the strongest arm. And he's a lefty. While it it sounds really dumb, being a lefty quarterback matters. And a lot of people don't like that because everything's backwards. And you're basically trying to teach somebody uh, with the complete reverse like mechanics. So one, some things that I look for, but I say all that because it, sometimes guys just haven't, sometimes guys just don't. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter. Like Brock Purdy was great in 2019 in college. Absolutely sucked in 20 and 21. Just awful. And he went from a quarterback. Oh, he may be good to this guy shouldn't be drafted. Nobody should touch him. And now he's like, what? Like 13 and one as a starter. Like yeah. it's, Sometimes guys just have it and it works out and situation matters. So if I'm Kevin O'Connell, here's what I'm looking for. I want somebody who can dominate within structure. I want somebody who's capable enough to create. I want somebody who has a strong arm to make some of those ridiculous throws and somebody who is a good processor. You can become a better processor. You can't just all of a sudden have a stronger arm. And like, I think mechanics can overall be learned, especially with footwork because you can drill that to oblivion and get that fixed. We've seen that time over time, but you can't teach some of that special stuff. You can't teach genuine arm talent. And it's hard to get somebody to be better within the confines of the pocket. So that's kind of what I'm looking for. And then stuff that we can't actually identify because we're not in the room. I want somebody who's intelligent and accepts coaching. And that is going to be completely objective and something that, unless we're hearing directly from people who are in those rooms, we can't know. And that that's what, and there's a reason why so many GMs struggle to find a quarterback. Like we give Rick Spielman crap. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Like even like top 10 picks, it's like one out of three. Like that's, those are difficult odds. Like this is in baseball. This is the NFL. And like, those are some of the things I look for, but there is no, prototype check all these boxes and this is your guy i feel i feel like guys get or at least not guys certain fans or scouts or whatever they get in love with you know arm talent and you know josh Mm -hmm. allen justin herbert big time arms and allen had a tough time adjusting herbert kind of stepped in right away and i think proved a lot of people wrong and he still has some growth to do but josh allen right perfect example of a guy with absurd arm talent but took like two years you know a lot of failed starts a lot of failed games before he became obviously the Josh Allen that we all know now. Um, but I, I think arm strength to me is always the one that fans always love to hear about. Cause look, you can throw a ball super far, but that honestly doesn't not necessarily mean a damn thing. If Jamarcus Russell can throw a ball on his knee 75 yards and he can't hit anything, obviously that's not going to be anything good either. Uh, Miles, were there any other characteristics that Forno maybe didn't mention that you would like to look for in a quarterback and how that fits KLC's type of coaching? Yeah, I think one thing too is I think arm talent gets gets construed to being arm strength. Arm talent is also like throwing with anticipation, having throwing with different arm angles, accuracy. Like there's a whole like breadth of things that go into like what arm talent means, not just arm strength. I'm not saying that's what you're saying just in general, though. I know I know folks can like focus on like the, the like arm strength as arm talent, but like there's so much more to it than that. That's why like I think Tua has arm talent because you see you see the accuracy, you see the anticipation. There's a lot that goes into it, not just the fact that his arm is isn't as strong as other guys, but he also he's also the best deep passer in the league right now. So like, mm-hmm. and he has like arguably one of the weaker arms in the league. So there's a lot that goes into that. Um, 
But I think um, I think a lot of what what you look for, I think kind of what we talked about, like what the traditional like uh, pocket passer was like the was like the the thing for so long in the NFL. I think what we're seeing is like the shift in in like what we call like the prototypical um, quarterback. It's you got to be a guy that's kind of a dual threat. Um, obviously, playing within the pocket, having accuracy is, is is a huge part of that. But I think a guy that has escapability, maneuverability in the pocket, but also like athletic, like just like inhate like natural athleticism. Um, you know, we've seen like Lamar Jackson's kind of an outlier in like the athleticism aspect of it. But like you see guys like Josh Allen, you see guys like Justin Herbert, those guys have athleticism. They may not like I, I think Allen's kind of probably closer to like the higher end athlete, but like Justin Herbert's a good athlete, but he's not like a like an amazing athlete or anything, but he's he's a functional good athlete that like can maneuver the pocket, run away from guys, get use his legs to get first downs. Like those are the types of things I think you kind of want to have a little bit of both of. Like you don't want just a true pocket passer, but you also don't want a guy that not to not to dog on Justin Fields, but like coming out, I thought he was going to be a better passer, you know, than than he's kind of shown in the NFL. But like you want more than a guy that's just good with his feet. You want guys that kind of have a little bit of both that you can that you can mold into like kind of being a pocket passer usually comes first. But I think for KOC, the one thing that I'm excited about whenever they do make that move to go get their quarterback, the young quarterback, is he seems like the type that's willing to adjust his offense to what his skill set of the guy he has. And so I think if he goes and gets a, a Caleb Williams, Drake May, JJ McCarthy, um, you know, these these guys coming out in the draft, I think he's going to adjust his offense to make sure that's not just about the guys fitting his scheme, but also his scheme fitting those guys' skills, skill sets and traits and their and their abilities. And I think that's one thing not all coaches are willing to do. I don't think we see guys like Josh McDaniels. I think he struggled with that, especially when he leaves, whenever he leaves New England, he seems to kind of like hyper focus on like what his quarterback has to be rather than like adjusting around him. Um, but like Kyle Shannon is obviously the, the ideal scenario there of like, he, he, he doesn't, he, he's like the one at like outlier of like his guys need to fit his scheme because of like what he needs from his quarterback to be successful. Like that's why maybe Trey Lance wasn't as much of a fit as we'd like him to be. Um, but at the same time, I think you'd see other teams um, where they really like to focus on building their offense around their quarterback not just about around the scheme, but their quarterback being the that centerpiece. And I think I think Kevin O'Connor at least has shown that he's the type of guy that wants to to build around his best players, not just um, have them build into what he's trying to do best. This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. And then, Forno, you were talk, talking to us earlier this week, and you've been meaning to – you've done this a few times on the show, but you know, Caleb Williams is at least labeled as this can't-miss generational pot prospect maybe not as high as, you know, Trevor Lawrence coming out or even Andrew Luck coming out, but obviously a, a can't-miss quarterback. And I think a lot of fans just see that on paper and they think, all right, he's the next big thing. He'll be the num- number next stud quarterback that enters this NF- enters the NFL. But you see a lot more warts in his game that maybe don't get discussed about, uh, discussed enough uh, with other fans or other media and scouts. So I guess, so Caleb Williams, who probably is going number one, but what do you not specifically like about Caleb Williams' games? Or what can Caleb Williams be better at to really solidify himself as a can't miss prospect. 
I don't think he's a can't miss prospect at, at least in, on the level of a Trevor Lawrence and Andrew Luck. I don't think he's close to those guys. And when I watch Caleb Williams, it and I don't mean this as an insult, it's almost like he's playing street ball and it's like he's trying to make sports centers top 10 every single time he throws the ball. And there's some of that that's going to translate to the NFL. But when I look at it, about 60-ish percent of like some of those spectacular plays you see in college aren't going to translate to the NFL because you're looking at different athletes on the field. You're looking at different levels of spacing and pass rushers are going to be so much better than what you see in college. Like the best pass rusher he's seen in college is probably uh, Jonah Ellis from uh, Utah. If Ellis were to come into the NFL right now, he'd probably be like the 50th best pass rusher at best. So you've got about 50 guys better than him. And you'll probably see at least one or two of those guys every single week. So you have just different levels of talent and Williams needs to thrive in structure. He needs to figure that out. And I mentioned Nevada with Mahomes earlier. Mahomes figured it out. He also had Andy Reid and a year to really groom and develop. You go number one overall. You don't get that. You don't have that kind of luxury. You don't have an incumbent that just went 13 and three on your roster. That's going to help you learn, develop and figure these things out over the course of time. That's not how that works. So you look at all these little nuances with his game. He needs to figure out how to take it basically for lack of better terms, take a three to five step drop, hit a 10 yard dig route and be comfortable taking a 10 to 15 yard gain instead of scrambling from a a clean pocket and trying to create, because that's going to get you killed in the NFL. I don't know that he can do it. I also don't know that he can't, but it's a concern. The fact that he's not doing it. One of the reasons why I have Drake may over him, Drake may dominates from inside the pocket and he's very good outside of structure. He's not Caleb Williams good, but he is more than capable to do everything that Williams does scramble uh, from a, a dirty pocket, throw the ball down the field on the move with accuracy and velocity. Like he can do all those things and he dominates from inside the pocket, making real progressions. And I just don't see that from Williams. And I've heard a criticism of Lincoln Riley where like somebody called him Kyler Murray 2.0 where, and, and I kind of understand it because Lincoln, Lincoln Riley doesn't really care about building you for the NFL. He cares about winning games in college football. Well, against the best defense he's faced in, during his time at USC, Caleb Williams is 0-3 against Utah. And some of that's on him. Some of that is on Alex Grinch and his absolutely ab- abhorrent defenses. But he's 17-3 and against the rest of college football. What can we read into that? Well, when he plays uh, like an NFL caliber like defense as far as like structure, scheme, and they have a lot of NFL caliber players, he struggles. And he shouldn't be struggling. He should be able to do a lot more. And to me, I just, I can't get on board with like, he's a canvas prospect. I see people like, if if you think Caleb Williams is bad, you should, you should try watching a different sport. Like Caleb Williams isn't bad, but there are genuine issues. And I think they're getting overlooked because of how special some of the other things that he has about him. Mm-hmm. And I, that's why Drake may is my number one because Williams has way too many question marks about some of the basic core elements you need to succeed at quarterback. If he figures that out, Caleb Williams has a legit chance to be the best quarterback that ever plays football because of everything that makes him special. But if you can't get the basics down, there's going to be a ceiling on what you're going to be able to do in the national football league. And to me, that's scary. So 
we should have brought this up when maybe Miles was talking about J.J. McCarthy, but what about the potential Harbaugh-Quasey connection there? Obviously, there, 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 there's a past relationship there. Harbaugh interviewed for this job, um, maybe almost potentially left Michigan to coach the Vikings, um, but now J.J. McCarthy's obviously the quarterback there. So I guess, Miles, what type of relationships that are in play there with Quasey and Harbaugh you know, is, do you think that there has been dialogue that's already being discussed? And do you think that makes it a kind of an easier bridge? And I guess the third layer to this question is, do you trust Quasey and Harbaugh working together to pick the next Vikings quarterback too? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing you, you'll you get from like a relationship in that aspect is a little bit more honesty. Like obviously these coaches, these college coaches want to talk up their players. Now, some coaches are a little bit more honest about some of their players than, than others, but I think with Harbaugh and like a crazy relationship, I think what you'll get is truly who JJ McCarthy is behind the scenes. Like what he's like in the meeting rooms, what he's like around his teammates, what he's like as a person outside of just the, the person playing football, like the, the player on the field. And I think those are some of the things you might, you that crazy might be able to unearth that sometimes you don't always get insight into. Like I know they do a lot of work behind the scenes to get some of those answers the best they can. Like I think draft day, like the movie love, they love to give you that, like going to the birthday party stuff. But like, that shit kind of mat in some some degree. Some of that stuff does matter, at least to teams. And so I think, I think Quasi should like with that relationship should hopefully be able to get a little bit more of that honesty um, and information from that than maybe he might be able to from other teams like a Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley situation. Maybe he's not able to get as much information um, because of that um, because he's the who Caleb Williams is is garnered to be Drake May as well. Like so, I, I'm hoping like that relationship can just help give you more information. Um, I think there's a, a similar situation. Who is the, I'd have to, I'm trying to look back at like the team where they had a really, uh, well, Kevin O'Connell with Will Levis. Um, I think there was a lot of information last year. Kevin O'Connell had a lot of background info on him because of uh, Liam Kentucky's. Cohen. Thank you. Liam Cohen, the office coordinator for the Rams and, and now Kentucky again, like a lot of information. Kevin O'Connell had a chance to draft um, Will Levis and didn't. And then that's not to say um, Kevin O'Connell liked Will Levis or didn't like Will Levis only because of the relationships. But I think, you have a lot of that background information. You can garner a little bit more of like where you think a guy could be at transitioning to the next level because of the relationships you have. So I think there's something that that's garnered there. Um, now it doesn't mean that crazy is going to like, or Kevin O'Connell is going to like him more or less, but I think it just gives you more information to gather as you build out your, uh, your, uh, your uh, big board and, and things like that. And your rankings of, of quarterbacks. Some more feedback questions here we got on Purple Daily on Draft. I want to get to uh, Connor sent this one over the weekend and said, what do you guys think of Tyler Van Dyke? And I brought this name up uh, to both of you in the pre-show, and you both kind of scoffed a little bit. Forno, I'll start with you. Uh, Forno, especially. Oh, yeah, he scoffed at that pretty quickly. What do you think of Tyler Van Dyke? He stinks. He's bad, Um, especially when you look at the confines of what the offense is. He doesn't have necessarily the strongest arm in the world. He doesn't have really good pocket presence either. And he takes some really bad sacks and he throws up some just like, remember case Keenum where Keenum would just have that bozo gene where he would just throw up like one or two, just absolutely cherry picked interceptions for the other team. Like each game Van Dyke does that too. And I, I just don't see any kind of really projectable outlook with Van Dyke and a lot of his draft type has really come from that freshman season, which is we are now two years removed from where he looked great. He looked like, Hey, maybe this guy can be the guy and he can take things to the next level. Well, then he is absolutely crap last year and he's been fine this year, 
but fine college quarterback does not necessarily equate anything to NFL success. How being a great college quarterback doesn't equate to NFL success. Bailey Zappi was the best college football quarterback in 2021 fourth round pick of the Patriots. He's now on their practice squad. So to me, Van Dyke is um, an absolute no, and he would have to do a lot to change my mind. Yeah, I, I would guess uh, he's far down the pecking order. I love all the lists mm-hmm. that we get here from from fans. So if there's anyone else that's, whether it's someone that's a household name, maybe not a household name, I mean, a lot of people know who Brock Purdy was even going into the 2022 draft for sure. So there's plenty of options too. So if you guys want us to talk any quarterback, uh, please feel free to uh, shoot us a note either on the YouTube comment section or in the Score North app. Uh, fellas, I know we're not going to talk much of the 49ers game, but let's talk a little bit here uh, about Andrew Booth who seems to be getting another crack um, after kind of being an afterthought after his rookie season where he battled injuries. Now he's getting another shot, and Brian Flores even credits him in a post-game press conference last week and looks like he's probably going to get some significant playing time against the 49ers. Um, I guess, Miles, what, what do you want to see from Andrew Booth that he wasn't able to do in his rookie season, and is there a chance for him to kind of salvage some of the prospect and the, or the draft stink that was on him after a rough rookie year? Do you see him being able to rebound here um, in the second half of 2023. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the perfect time for him to kind of dispel all that, like, bad taste, bad, you know, bad pick, you know, conversations that have been out there, and they were rightfully so. Um, I think he's he's done a good job of, like, behind the scenes, just kind of, like, working himself back. I think it's something you'd like to see from, like, a Lewis scene or from some, some of the guys that aren't getting run is just, like, how are they doing in practice? How are they doing in meeting rooms? And clearly he's doing, Andrew Bruce doing enough to warrant playing time over Makai Blackman um, last week. And and we know that Blackman going into the season was pretty high regarded. So I think that's just good news. I mean, it doesn't mean it's going to completely turn around his career, but I mean, if if he's going to do it, it's now. And I think that opportunity is really big for him. And I think he's got the ability. We've always known like the, the talents there, but can he kind of put it together? And so my hope is with these opportunities is he's really going to be able to uh, like develop the, the rapport with his teammates, but also the trust in, from the coaches, but also just the uh, the confidence level. And cornerback is all about confidence. It's about playing with confidence and playing with that. Like I think going into the season or going in his like NFL career, one thing I never had questioned about Andrew Booth was like confidence. Like you could tell when you watched him, that dude played with a lot of confidence and played with a lot of like um, energy. You want to see? I want to see that. I want to see that tonight. Like I really want to see just like how he can come out and just kind of play a little bit more of that swagger that you're looking for from a cornerback, and you know make some plays and. And kind of talk talk some mess. Like I, I love that. I've always been into like I like guys talking. Like I think it's fun. Um, not everybody's into that, but I'm into that. Um, but I think I think I just want to see that. Like is that the energy, the confidence? I think it, it's just going to go a long way for him. And I think uh, he's the type of guy that has the ability to kind of not be maybe not maybe being a shutdown corner is maybe a little bit. We're we're kind of beyond that. But I think being a, a good quality uh, NFL cornerback is very much in sights. Well, no, what does this mean for Kwesi, I guess, if he ends up actually maybe being right on Andrew Booth, who some people project as a first-round pick, but injuries kind of uh, ruined his stock. He goes to the second round, and then Vikings fans kind of rag on Kwesi for obviously the Lewis Seen pick and the Booth pick on consecutive first two picks and as a general manager are looking like complete bust, but now Booth's getting another crack. Um, what would it do for the perception of Kwesi? Does his stock go back up a little bit more if Andrew Booth ends up being a pretty decent player in Flores' system? I guess if Booth ends up working out, what does it mean? And how do people kind of perceive Kwesi Adolfo Mensa differently? Listen, gentlemen, it's time for a victory lap. And I'm taking one right now. <laughs> I, I, I've said for months, you have to give these guys time. And you have to give a draft class upwards of three years to really see what these guys are going to do. 
injuries and just growth and development were two things that Andrew Booth Jr. needed to deal with. And he had had the minor injury last year, had the torn meniscus, and now he came back and he's worked really hard in practice and he's earned that opportunity and he played well against the Bears. Sometimes guys just need time. And it's okay that a second round pick who's dealt with injuries needed some time to develop. And you have to give these guys time and panicking and saying fire Quasi and he's not any good at his job. It's, it's too much hyperbole and you need to give these players time to really figure out what's going on and get that growth and development curve under control. And Booth is figuring it out and hopefully seen, even though he dealt with the hamstring injury for the last few weeks, hopefully he can get there too. And I'm not closing the book on either of these guys because you just need time. It's an inconclusive data set. Once we have more of a conclusive data set, then you can call him a bust. Right now it's too early. And this is why. Hey, that 22 class in general, not seen, but like if Booth can continue that trend, um, Caleb Evans has been solid all year. Ed Ingram looks like he's figuring it out. Um, If those three guys, like at least those three guys can hit, like, I know people talk about historically bad, but like if those guys can kind of, those are important positions you need to keep filled, especially at cornerback. If those guys can kind of become staples, that just goes a long way for where this team is trying to go. And I think if we could see a little bit more of Osamoa, he's, he's the other one for me that like maybe he could crack. Cause it looks like he played a little bit more last week or um, I, Ivan Pace has kind of been in and out of the lineup. I know Jordan Hicks has been playing out of his mind. Um, so it's, it's been him, but like maybe we see more of Osamoa who's, who's seen more snaps. So I think that, Maybe that 2022 class can salvage itself. So with the 49ers obviously in town, I know we'll probably talk about this on next week's show. In fact, we'll have two games. The Vikings will have two games under their belt by the time we record next Monday. Um, so if they do lose the 49ers, they're favored to lose. I mean, Vikings are big kind of home dogs here. But if they do indeed lose to the Niners, and then they play also a very lowly Packers team, does this change anything? Does tonight's result change anything? If, I guess if they maybe steal a win, does that change how they handle the trade deadline? Did the this ownership and the general manager, Kwesi, basically just say, hey, we're actually going to push forward here? I mean, I guess how much does tonight's result kind of weigh on what this team wants to do by the trade deadline for now? It weighs a lot. And if the Vikings win, three and four is a hell of a lot different than two and five. Going into this week, they were a game out of the wild card. And if you win this game, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable potentially getting that wild card spot. And then you have the Packers who I don't know if you watch the game against the Broncos, that team looks like a disaster. And they were dealing with some injuries on the defensive side of the football. Jordan love isn't it. And I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that after he's played six games and they have so much. Wait a minute. Didn't you just say you need, you need, you need a, a bigger sample size though, <laughs> right? We need a bigger sample size. To me, the difference is this. Jordan, even though this is his first year starting, Jordan Love's also in his fourth year. So, yeah, yeah. like, it, sometimes you, you can just see little things. He doesn't trust himself. And I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm just giving you a hard time, too, more That's than anything. That's fair. That's fair. I, I deserve deserve a hard time here every now and then. But uh, I'm I'm out on, on Love. And if the Vikings somehow end up 4-4, four and four, I don't know how you can uh, look ownership in the eye and say, hey, we need to sell. If right. it's two and six, it's like, look, we really tried this season. We're looking forward to next season now. We're not going to fully give up on this year, but let's try and get some assets back for guys who are not going to be here and are in our plans in the future. And I think this this game has a lot to do with it. But if they lose to the Packers too, 
and it's two and six, I think that's when you're actually going to see some movement at the deadline. Cause three and five is still, I think like from a front office perspective, Oh, there's nine games left that it's too close to call. And we've been playing good football. Uh, so I think these games really do mean a lot. It's pretty wild too. I brought this up with Mackie and Judd. Um, the fact the Vikings have not won a home game since last December. The I believe the first time the Giants were here, right? I think that was yep. their last home win. They lost obviously the next the couple weeks later to the Giants in the playoffs. They've lost their first what three games at home here today uh, this season. So now here they are potentially still almost a full year removed from even winning a, a home game. And the Wilps who love stability and love business, um, they want to keep fans in the seats and. I agreed with Mackie on this point that I think regardless Vikings fans are going to show up. It's the NFL. Like, you know, they're not, they're not Jacksonville where they have to play in London every year because their fan base is so weird, or it's not a chargers game where it's half of the other team. Um, But in general, I I think this game means so much because if they kind of realize, you know what, we are far behind the eight ball. We're getting good offers on Daniel Hunter or more calls start to come in on Daniel Hunter after this game. um, It's just such an interesting turning point, I guess, potentially for this season. Yeah, you could win the next two, and by next week's show, we're talking about the Vikings being four and four, and now all of a sudden they're back in the division somehow because the NFC North. Do they become is so buyers? Bad. Do they become buyers yeah, in that situation? Exactly, like, exactly. Are we, are we completely pivoting this conversation to like, oh, who should the Vikings go after? Oh my gosh! If- well, a- after uh, yesterday's post game presser where he had an expletive laden rant, Jonathan Allen's an intriguing option. He yeah. could uh, yeah. absolutely yeah. change the defensive line immediately. It's too bad because, like, you know, when we got in, when we started this show, and obviously we were hoping the Vikings were going to have a better season, I would have much preferred to be talking about buying options than selling options. I, I think a lot of people think Purple Daily is this negative show and we only want to sell. No, 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 no. I'd be all in on buying options, but they've kind of dug a deep enough grave here where it's kind of buying is probably now completely off the table, even if you win, I think, the next two games. Who, who knows? We'll see what happens. But yeah, it's going to be a wild next, uh, next week by, by next timeline by next week's show here on Purple Daily on drafts because there'll be two games under the belt. And we'll have obviously a little bit of clarity on what the Vikings want to do on the eve of the uh, NFL trade deadline as well. Uh, any last things, boys, before we, uh, before we sign off here and talk again next Monday? Let's, I'm let's excited. Can figure it out. Tuesday night football, Austin Reed in Western Kentucky play the Liberty <laughs> Flames. High recommend you seek that game out. It's going to be high scoring. It's going to be a lot of fun. And there's nothing quite like midweek college football. Love it. Uh, hit the subscribe button, Daily Minnesota Vikings Entertainment. This is Purple Daily on Draft for Tyler Fornis, Miles Gorham, Declan Goff here. Hit the subscribe button for Daily Vikings Entertainment. Vikings vent line on Monday evening late after Vikings 49ers. We'll be talking at you then.